study this second letter of Peter, um, we've, as, as I told you at the very beginning, one of the overarching themes of Second Peter is that he talks about matters of life and death. Things that really matter, both the way that you live and the way things will be once you've died. And we talked about the fact that the reason Peter was so focused on these matters of life and death is because Peter knew death was coming for him pretty quickly. He was in a Roman prison. He had already had the, the, the sentence of death upon his life. And on top of that, as we'll see at the end of this chapter, Jesus spoke to Peter and said, Peter, it's almost the end. Now, God doesn't do that very often with a lot of people. This is kind of a unique situation for Peter. But I think the reason that, that God spoke that to him was so that he could go through that process of thinking, okay, I'm almost going to leave this planet. What do I need to leave behind? What do I need to speak to, to the, the other people that are going to still be here on earth once I'm gone, gone and they're following Jesus? What do they need to hear? What are these matters of life and death that they need to know? And, and that's what we're continuing to look at here. And specifically today, what I want to try to distinguish between is that there's a difference between eternal life and the daily life of a Christian. Okay, there's a difference between eternal life and the daily life of a Christian. And sometimes that distinction is very important in the way that we live our lives. Okay, a Christian receives eternal life once they've put their faith and trust in Jesus. Right, you've all heard that. That's the simple, most simple gospel message to say, hey, we're all sinners, we need a savior. If you put your faith in him, as your savior, he'll save you, right? We got that. And then we love what comes after that when you always hear a pastor say, and if you've done that, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're gonna live forever in eternity with him. He has gone to prepare a place for us, a heaven that will be glorious without pain or suffering or sorrow. And that's where we're gonna live our lives, right? That's the great news that we hear uh, of, from the gospel, and as we saw last week, eternal life is one of those precious and very great promises that he's granted to us. Remember that? That was last week's passage in verses three and four. A precious and very great promise that we've been granted from him. And eternal life is that perfect, holy, endless glory of communion with God forever and ever. Okay, so that's eternal life. Well, what do I mean then? when I say that there's a difference between eternal life and daily Christian life. Well, that probably seems pretty simple for most of us. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I know. The life I live every day is not that life. The things that I experience in this world around me is not that. That eternal life, that big picture heaven stuff, whew, that doesn't happen at my work. <laughs> That's not happening in my family. That's not happening every time I wake up with the aches and pains and worries and fears that I have in life, right? It's different. There's a difference. Now, what I want us to talk about, though, is that gap between the two. Because that's what Peter is going to focus on. As Peter started to think, okay, death is on the way, and there's some of those things, eternity, that I want to talk about. But I also know that for a lot of other people, they're still going to be left behind when I go and be with the Lord. So what about that space for them between what is it like right now living here on earth 
versus where I'm headed to heaven in the future. What is that, that gap? What's the difference? Now, for those of you who are like theologian types that think heavily about this, I know that some people would argue, well, hey, no, the minute that you put your faith in Jesus, then that's the minute that eternal life has begun. Now, I understand the theology behind that and, and, and that's the moment of the, the kingdom crashing into the, the here and now and, and there's some things there. But for, for what we're gonna discuss here and what we're gonna describe, you've gotta be able to still distinguish the fact that there's a difference between daily life now and eternal life to come, right? And even if there are elements of the eternal life and the kingdom of heaven breaking here into earth, I don't like to dilute my vision, my idea, my ideal of what eternal life is going to be like by trying to describe the life I live right now as eternal life. Yes, I've received eternal life right now, but baby, this doesn't feel like heaven. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's a difference. There's a space there. Because I know that my daily life as a Christian isn't always glorious. But guess what? When I go to heaven, it's going to be glorious every single day. So there's a difference. And I know that, that uh, my experience isn't unique. Now, some of you out there, you might be like, I don't know what you're talking about. The moment I gave my heart to Jesus, whoo, everything's been good. And I've been cruising ever since. Well, I'm glad you came to the Lord last week. I hope that continues for you, you know? Um, but as we see, that's not always the way it is. But when, when we dig into this little passage that we're going to look at here today and, and you picked a good day to come to church because this is a great passage of scripture to look at. We're gonna see that Peter is recognizing the fact that Christians have always fought these battles. The things that you go through, that space between the here and now life and the life to come that you feel, that tension, that awkwardness, the difficulty, that's not new. It's always been this way, all right? But what we're also gonna see is Peter is going to talk about certain qualities, that's the word that he's going to use, certain qualities that can close the gap, okay? Certain qualities for life. So let's read verses 5 to 7 here this morning. First Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Here's what he says. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. All right, so what he gives us here is he gives us a list of seven qualities that are going to impact us. Now, before we get into those seven and look at that, I want you to first notice the very first phrase. He says, for this reason, and then he gives us the list. All right, well, what reason is he talking about? It's back to last week, verses three and four, the verses that came right before these two. Remember last week where he said, his divine power has given these, us these very great and precious promises and, and that we have been allowed now through those things to partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world. That was the whole thrust of what he taught us last week. And he says, because of that, because you are people that can now have a divine nature, instead of people that are stuck in just a human nature and a fallen nature, 
Because that's happened, because there's a difference, because there's a possibility, because of the goodness of God and the power that he's given us, because that's there, make every effort to supplement your faith, okay? Now, if you read that, you might have little flags that go up, little notifications that pop through and say, whoa, there's an issue. Wait a minute, supplement your faith? Hold on, I, I thought that what we need is faith. We're Christians that believe in faith and faith alone, right? So what's he talking about? We need extra things? I thought all we needed was faith. Yes, all you need is faith. It is faith and faith alone. Peter's not talking about these qualities to supplement your salvation, One of the most basic things that we know is that Jesus did all the work for us. He's the one who provided abundantly the way to eternal life. That's not what Peter's talking about here. He's not saying, well, you have to have faith and the supplements if you really want to pull this off. No, 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 no. He's not talking about that, uh, about salvation. I mean, if you remember the way Peter began this letter as he even said to us very clearly hey you've got the same faith that I have you have a faith that is of equal standing to me an apostle right because the faith isn't his it's not ours it's given to us by Jesus it's his righteousness it's his goodness that allow us to be where we need to be the supplements that he's describing here aren't adding to our eternal life they're strengthening our daily life Okay, so when he talks about, hey, you need these qualities, he's not talking about what it's going to be like up there. He's talking about what it means right here. And he says, how can we close that gap? It's by supplementing our our lives with these things. And and guys, I want you to pay attention to this because this is a, a crucial secret for those of us who want everything that God has for us in this life. This is the part that a lot of self-declared Christians miss. These are the qualities that they don't grow in, that they don't supplement their faith with, and they wonder why after years, decades, they are just these miserable Christians. And they say, well, man, was I ever really a Christian? Did God ever actually do anything in my life? How is it that here I am walking with the Lord for 40 years and I'm still the same jerk I always was and I'm still the same, you know, I still got these problems and those problems and there's no change in my life. This is the problem. This is the space. This is what's happened. Did they make a prayer, a a legitimate, genuine, hey, Lord, I need you and I want you? Yes, they did. But have they been growing? Have they been changing? No. So what's happening? Is it God's fault? Or are they resisting what God wants to do in their lives? That's what we're going to find out here. That's what, what's happening is they're just missing this growth that God has for us. All right? So now let's talk about these seven qualities. He says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with these seven things. And we'll go through them. The first one is virtue. Virtue isn't a word that we really throw around all that often anymore, but virtue is simply goodness or excellence of character. If you say, hey, that person is a virtuous person, that means they really have a character that is just good. The, the, the most genuine part of who they are deep down inside, they have this virtue. And here's the problem with that. 
there, it's, it's very interesting. I was thinking about this this week. Um, it could be a, an interesting study to look at different cultures historically and see how different cultures elevate different things. There's been, been times in history where virtue was, was very much a, a celebrated thing. It was a raised thing. It was important to be thought of as virtuous. That seemed very noble and lofty. Wow, that person is full of virtue. But interestingly, in the culture that we live in right now, you know what overturns or, or overthrows virtue and, and, and character and goodness? Charisma. We want charisma over character. Think about it. We want pop. We want spice. We want wow factor. We, yeah, it'd be good if they've got some good character in them, but as long as they're, boom, they're out there and it's something worth following and seeing and it's exciting and it's, whoo, we elevate charisma over character most of the time. But what we, and, and, and unfortunately it's not, it's, it's, it's found its way into the church world as well. This isn't just entertainers or actors or anything like that. It's every sort of leader in any sort of capacity. But he says, no, virtue the excellence of character is important. Secondly, he says knowledge. Now, the, the word knowledge, if, if you've um, heard many sermons, you might know that in the Bible, in the New Testament, there's multiple words that have, are translated as knowledge or um, wisdom. This particular word here is an acquaintance with. It's not just head knowledge of, hey, I know the, this information. It's actually um, a word that's used when it's talking about, I, ha- I, I have a friend I know this person. When we say that, that's the sort of knowledge that is being described here. Not, not head knowledge, but an acquaintance with. It's referring to our closeness with Jesus. He's saying you need to add to your faith, not only a faith in trust and trust in Jesus as your savior, but also an, a knowledge of him, a relationship to him, a connection with him. All right? Virtue, knowledge, self-control. Self-control, another word for self-control is temperance. Somebody who knows how to control themselves, self-control. The opposite of self-control is self-indulgence. I'm gonna do whatever I feel like in the moment and I don't care what the the outcome is, right? That's self-indulgence. Self-control is being able to say, no, I know this is what my self wants right now, but this isn't what's best for me or the people around me, or whatever it is. And so I'm going to control myself. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. Okay, that's a word with a lot of S's in it. Um, Steadfastness just means endurance, perseverance. You're staying on the course that you need to stay on, especially under adversity. We, We think of an endurance runner as somebody who just runs a really, really, really long way. And even those people who love to run long, long, long distances, even for them, there's spaces where it's like, this is hard. This is not fun. But they just keep on running. (laughs) They're persevering through it. They're enduring, even under adversity. So he says, you need to add that. You need to learn to be steadfast. Then he says, godliness. All right, now, this isn't saying you need to be like God, okay? Because if that's the case, none of us will ever be godly. No, what what godliness is, is a reverence for God. It's a God-mindedness. It's it's focusing on who God is and what he's, it's 
um, another old word is piety that is, is used in, in, in describing this as well. Where God is central in your life. You, you've got a godliness to you. Then, the last, uh, second to last one, brotherly affection. Um, brotherly affection is just learning to love each other like family. Really caring for other people. Having this brotherly love. The word actually is Philadelphia. If you've ever heard of that city, it's the city of brotherly love. That's from the Greek word, Philadelphia. And that's, that's what he says here. You need to have this brotherly love. A family love for each other. And then finally, number seven, he says, and add to all those things, love. And what kind of love? It's the Greek word agape. That kind of love, that selfless, sacrificial love. The love that God has for us that would send Jesus to die on our behalf. That sort of love. Not the warm and fuzzy feeling of love, but a love that that sacrifices Okay, so this list of seven things, he says, you're going to take these things, you're going to supplement them to your faith. You're going to add these things in. And what is going to happen is that these qualities close the distance between our daily lives and eternal life. When we start adding these things to the faith that we already have, we start seeing a transformation that's happening in our lives. We are no longer the people that we once were because these things are moving us somewhere else. But, as you might imagine, as you read through that list, there might be three, three or four of those things you're like, oh yeah, I'm doing good in those. I got that one and that one and that one, but we don't want to talk about that one or that one, right? There's, there's probably going to be a couple in there at least, or six or seven, <laughs> where you're like, ooh, I need that in my life and I don't have it. Well, we know that those qualities don't always come easily. We have to fight for these things. You won't get it right the first try. That's exactly what Paul says in in 1 Timothy when he gives a very similar list. He tells us we got to fight for this. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. But what's he say in verse 12? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says the very same thing. He says, get, get these things because what you're trying to do is trying to grab a hold of this life that you're called to. But you gotta fight the good fight of the faith. Yes, you have faith. Yes, you are saved. But God wants to change you. And these qualities require various things. So you might say to yourself, all right, I like the list, seems really good, but how in the world am I supposed to do that? Well, I'm very hesitant to try to tell you, here are your three steps to the seven qualities that will change your life. The reason I'm hesitant to try to say that is because it's going to look very differently for each one of us. And it looks differently for each of us because not only are we all being shaped in different ways at different times in our lives, but there are different things necessary for those traits to start happening in your life. There's not a simple one-size-fits-all, boom, do this, and everybody's good. That's, that's not how it is. Yes, it's going to require on our parts a commitment to change, 
It's going to require the power of the Holy Spirit enabling that change. And it's also going to probably require some humility on our part to accept help from other people around us. But it's still going to be very different for each of us. This is what I mean. Let's just take about a, talk about a couple examples here. So maybe the thing that you feel like you need to grow in is, let's say, brotherly affection. Okay, that, that family connection. Well, guess what? The, the brothers and sisters of Christ are the people that are sitting around you right now. And if it's really difficult for you to ever come to church or come to church on a regular basis, it's going to be hard for you to grow in that discipline, in that virtue, in that quality. Why? Because you're not around people to ever try to grow in that area. So for you, the thing that God may be calling you to is to say, hey, make a commitment to be at church every Sunday. Or maybe it's a little farther. It's like, okay, yeah, I can come to church every Sunday, but I just don't talk to anybody, and I could just scoot out the back as soon as it's done, and nobody knows me, and I don't know anybody, but I went to church. Okay, well, maybe for you, it's like the next, a different level of, I need to actually commit to a a life group, a small group, where people actually know when I'm not there. And, and we probe a little deeper and I actually give some feedback of where I'm at in my life. And it's not just me sitting and smiling at the pastor and him thinking that everything's good in my life when actually there's not things that are, there are things that are not good in my life, right? Maybe that's what it is for you. It's a, the, a, a deeper, deeper spot there. Maybe some of these virtue, the virtue things, the character stuff, Maybe people from the outside see you and think, oh, this person really has integrity, but you know, oh, actually, down deep inside, the real me is a mess. And I got all these issues. Well, there's a whole lots of, there's, there's lots of different things that may need to come out and may need to be worked through in your life for you to come there. And I will tell you this, and this is hard to hear, especially in this day and age where we live. You might have to lay down some things to pick up these qualities. All right, you see this list of seven qualities that he says, add this to your faith? And you might, might see one or two of those that you're like, yes, I know God's calling me to grow in this area. But there may be other things that get in the way of that. Things that you're gonna have to, maybe even good things, that you may have to say, I gotta, I gotta drop those things. God's calling me to have virtue and, and character but I know that this group of friends that I hang out with does not aim me in that direction. And I need to spend less time with those people. There's, there's, there's lots of different things that could happen, but you may have to lay down some things to pick them up. Well, how do those traits, how do these qualities then, how do they impact our lives? Why would Peter say, well, you, you should supplement your faith with these qualities? Here's how they, they impact us. When we begin adding to our faith, these qualities, the virtue, the self-control, the brotherly love, the love, all these, all these seven, they make us more and more like Jesus. Who, by the way, was loaded with these qualities. You go through that list and compare it to Jesus and you realize he's all those things. That's who he is. So as we begin to supplement our faith, we start changing into that. And what does that then do? The trickle-down effect. Now the people around us begin seeing Jesus in us. They're like, whoa, there's some things that have changed in you. You used to be out of control and now all of a sudden you're self-controlled. What's going on? 
This is what's happening. People recognize it. They see the work. And we begin to live our lives in ways that are more appropriate for that eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, than the kingdom of earth. Another thing I want you to notice about these qualities, they don't take any skill or talent. So many of the things that we want in our lives that we can't have are things that require something that we just don't have access to. You might see James up here singing and be like, man, I wish I could sing like that. And you're tone deaf and you've always been tone deaf and you're never getting around it, okay? I'm sorry, you don't have the talent. You're just stuck. Maybe pray and ask the Lord for your glorified body to be able to just belt it out. But right now you don't have it, okay? There's certain limitations that we have. You see these gymnasts in the Olympics doing the stuff that they do and you're like, oh, I wish I could do that. You can't. (laughs) I don't even know all your athletic ability, but I promise you can't. And it's okay. But these qualities, these traits, they don't take skill. They don't take talent. Everyone can grow in these things. And what happens when we're not growing? We're dying. That's part of the fallenness of the world. We're we're in constant motion. Either we move forward or backward, but we never really stand still. And that's why Peter says, supplement these things. Add these things into your life. And look what he says in verse 8 now. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. These qualities will keep you as a Christian from being ineffective and unfruitful. I know that none of you signed up for, to, to become a Christian and said, I just can't wait to be ineffective and unfruitful. That's who I want to be. No, that's not who we want to be. God's put this desire in our heart that says, I want to be fruitful. I want to be effective. I want to be the person you called me to be, created me to be. I want to step into the, my design and purpose for life. I want to be that person. That's what he's saying. If these qualities are, are in you, you're going to move in that way. Now, we know our eternal life has been perfectly provided by the work of Jesus. But that knowledge that even as Christians, we can be ineffective or unfruitful, that's heavy. But I'll just tell you, I've known a lot of Christians in my life. And there's a lot of Christians, sometimes my, me, myself, that are ineffective and unfruitful. And we don't want to be there. That's not what we're called to. It doesn't mean that you're not saved if you're ineffective and unfruitful. That's not what's going on. But the gravity of the fallen world is pulling you back to a place that you don't belong. Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 to 15. Paul writing this, he says, For no one can lay a foundation, that's the salvation, other than what it, that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Like I've told you all along, Jesus did what he needed to do for us. Salvation is secure by him, purely and totally by him. There's the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, so here's what we're talking about today, building with these qualities, the things that we're building in our lives, it's on top of the foundation, not for salvation, but just building on the foundation. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, And now notice there's a decline. Wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
Listen, verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. Why? Because the foundation's already laid. Jesus did that part. But only as through fire. Do you see what Paul's saying here? What he's saying is, look, the foundation of Jesus is in place. But how you live your life, the things that you build your life with, those things are going to be tested at the end. We are thankful as Christians because when judgment day comes, when the last day of your life happens and you stand before the Lord, as a Christian, you have this foundation of salvation in Jesus, period, done. But what we also see is, in scripture is that there's going to be rewards actually passed out to God's people for eternity. And what he's telling us here is the way you live this life now is going to reflect that reward. You can build your house on the foundation of Jesus with this perfect, absolutely perfect foundation and you can build the whole thing up with cardboard and construction paper. Okay, but that house is gonna be pretty flimsy. And when somebody comes along and lights the thing on fire, it's gone. This is what Peter's saying. Don't do that. Don't live life like that. Instead, build with these qualities that are the precious gold and silver, stuff that can handle the fire and it still will exist. And I'm gonna tell you this too as we move on to verse nine. Peter's not easy on us here when he talks about these qualities. Look what he says in verse nine. He says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know what nearsightedness is? Nearsightedness is where you can only focus on the things that are right in front of your face. Okay? That's all you can see. You can't focus on anything out there. You can only see what's right here in front of your face. And and if you didn't know this already, when that's how we're, metaphorically looking at our lives, that's actually where most of our discontentment and depression and fear and all that stuff, that's where that stuff lives. It's when we get so stuck with the nearsightedness that all we can see is, oh man, what's happening right now in the moment? What am I worried about or struggling with? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh no, how's all this? That, that's the nearsightedness. That's, that is... The, the place where we also make most of our foolish choices. We're not thinking about the big picture. We're not seeing eternity in the distance waiting for us. We're not seeing the fact that God is bigger and greater than those circumstances that are right here, right in front of us, right now, right this minute. It's also, though, exactly where the world around us tells us that we should focus. The world around you says you should just focus on the right now. You only live once, YOLO. Carpe diem, seize the day, right now, right here, right now. Buy now, pay later. Live in the moment. Now, we are to be present in the moment, but we have to have a clear vision of not just the near, but the far. The here and the now, but also the the life to come. And we have to remember that we've been saved, what we've been saved from, that we might fight never to return back there. Why would Paul tell us that? Or Peter, sorry, why did Peter tell us that? Why does he tell you don't get blinded here? Because that's our tendency. 
In the Old Testament, there's a story when the Israelites had come out of slavery in Egypt. Okay, it's called the Exodus. And if you know that story, Moses leads them out, right? And leads them into the wilderness. Now, because of the sin of the people, they're ultimately gonna be in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering through the desert. But when it was time to actually enter into the promised land in the first place, they came, the people came and they, they, they sent spies into the land. And this is the time of Joshua and Caleb and all that. And they went over into the promised land and they saw all that was there. But when they came back, they were scared. They were, it was right in front of them. What's in front of us? Oh, well, the land is just like Moses told us the land would be. It's incredible. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a great place to be. This would be amazing for our people to live. But there's these other people. Some of them are like giants. They're living there. It's scary. I don't know how we could take it. And you know what happens at that place? And, and um, if you want to read this on your own sometime this week, it's uh, found in Numbers 14. When the people get the report from the spies, what they say is, it's better for us to just go back to Egypt. Let's just go back. Let's just, in fact, let's appoint a leader to take us back to Egypt right now. I would rather be a slave living in a shack here under the thumb of these slave drivers than try to face our scary thing that's in front of us. That's what we do as people. That's what we do when we're being so nearsighted. He says, look, don't you remember? You've been saved from this. You can now be people that have a divine nature, people that are being prepared and transformed for, for forever. And instead, what do we do? We slip back into the muck and the mess that pulls us down. And he says that happens when we're not having the amount of these qualities that we need. Whoever lacks these qualities has forgotten what they've been cleansed from. But that's not our call. Look at verse 10. He says here in verse 10, therefore brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. When we get sucked into the things that we've been saved from, when we go back to our sin, when we get nearsighted and we're blinded and we forgot that we've been changed, when we get pulled down there, what happens? You get discouraged, don't you? You're like, oh, I thought I was saved from this. You get confused. Oh, well, I prayed the prayer. Did God not hear me? Am I not really saved? Was that somebody else? What's, what's happening? We get to this spot where we're like, oh no, oh no, this isn't good. But he says, no, no, no. Confirm your calling and your election. We, we, we will doubt ourselves when we're not practicing these qualities. But when we are soaking in these qualities, they're reminders of what God is doing in us and keeps our eyes focused on him. When you're growing in self-control, when you're growing in virtue, when you're growing in love, when you're growing in steadfastness, when all these things are being applied to your life, what's happening? You're like, wow, God's changing me. I'm moving in a direction toward him. That's why Peter says, you gotta practice these things. And then he makes this at the end there of that verse, that this outrageous statement. He says, if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. Are there any of you here today that would be like, yes, I would like to never fall as a Christian ever again. No more sin for me. 
Like I want to just be on the level, Jesus-like from here on out. Well, Peter says, hey, if you do this, that's what's going to happen for you. I would say, well, prove him wrong. <laughs> Practice these qualities and, and see what happens. Because here's what we run into. It's difficult for us to be pointed in two directions at once. There's a reason God didn't put eyes in the back of our heads. I, I don't know if you guys have seen this recently. It's an interesting psychology experiment, but it, you might've seen it on social media, all right? Um, I've seen a few of them, variations of them, where two uh, parents will come with their child, okay? So you got a mom and a dad and a, a toddler or something. And they're standing here and they put a camera on them. And then being the brutal parents they are, they set down the toddler and one, the dad runs this way, the mom runs this way. And the whole thing is to see which parent will the child follow? You guys seen this? Okay, yeah, it's bizarre. And you get all kinds of different reactions, right? Some kids are like, I don't care where my dad is. Where is my mom? You know, and that's where I'm going. Other ones, I saw one where the toddler looks this way, looks this way. He's just like, sits. <laughs> like, I'm not going anywhere. They're going to come back and get me. I even actually saw a variation where they did it with a puppy. And the dog like goes back and forth, back and forth, spins in a circle <laughs> and collapses. It's like, which, you, you can't be pointed in two directions. It's like either I want this, I want Jesus, I want what he's got. I'm going to grow in these qualities. I'm going to focus on these things. I'm going to move over here. Or we're like, no, forget that. I'm going to go over here and forget all that and my eternity and all this because this is comfortable and this is where I am. I want to go back to Egypt. We, we, it's hard for us to do both. And it's a painful, ripping place. And this is where a lot of Christians live. It's like Sunday, I'm going to think about God. Friday night, I'm going to think about something else. And how is this pulling us back and forth, back and forth? He says, no, practice these. Stay here, focus here, and you won't fall. As we practice these qualities, the path towards Jesus becomes clear. And here's our, our last two verses here this morning. Verse 11, 2 Peter 1, 11. For in this way, as you're focused here on these qualities, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Guys, look at that. He says, not only are you going, yes, your salvation is secure. Yes, God is preparing a place for you. Yes, at the end of this life, if your faith and trust are in Jesus, that's where you're going to spend eternity. But the path between here and there, the gap between our daily life and eternal life, he says there's a couple different ways that's going to look. You might make it in by the skin of your teeth and everything's burned away and you just come in in rags and make it into heaven. Or there's going to be a path that is richly provided for you. A path of life where you are changing and transforming and becoming more and more like Jesus, that when you get to the end of your life, it's not going to be, oh no, am I going to make it or am I not? No, it's not going to be that way. You're going to have a confidence and a fullness because you know, I've been walking this way my whole life. I've been leaning in toward the Lord all this time. I've seen these qualities being expanded in my heart. And now I'm becoming the person that God's calling me to be. That's how he wants you to be able to live this life. Jesus wants us to have abundant lives, 
now as well as eternity. It's not just for heaven. That's not why we're saved. It's not just for heaven. It's also for living life that way, lives that are overflowing with him. Now, that does not mean, well, then that means I'll be rich and famous and all that. No, that's, that's not what he's talking about here. But the life that you have on earth will be the best it can be as it leads you to the start of eternal life. So supplement your faith with these qualities. And, you know, um, just a side statement here as, as we finish this morning. That life that I'm describing, that transformed life, that changed life, that is the vision that we share as the people of South Point. That's our church. That's our desire. Our vision would be, is that we would be healthy and vibrant Christians. These are, these are Christians that are growing in these qualities, that are aimed in that direction toward the Lord. People that are alive, people that are spiritually formed. And I do realize that's not what a lot of people want. Even people that come to church, that feels way too committed. That seems way too intense. You're telling me I gotta change my life? I don't want that. I kind of want to just come and hear a couple of good jokes and hear a good band and say hi to some friends and get a good cup of coffee on the way out. I, I understand. I, I can see where that, why that, that would pull that way. But, but guys, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we move forward toward him. And, and let's face it, right now in the world around us, this past couple years, we've seen the weakness of the Christian church at large in the United States. It's been uncovered. We've got division creeping into the church all over the place. Lines are being drawn over things that have no bearing on a person's relationship to God. Political preferences and worldviews that are fracturing the unity that's supposed to be found in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're seeing all over the place. And unfortunately, the voice of God is being smothered by all these other competing agendas. But that's not church. That's the blindness that he was talking about. And that blindness has come in so many of those places because there's been a neglect of cultivating these qualities of life. We don't want to be there. We want to be those people that are cultivating those things. And that is my prayer, that we would be a church that's pursuing Jesus and his transformation and growing daily in qualities like these. And, and as I finish here, just know that just like Peter, I am gonna say to you, verse 12, what he says to us, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. You might be like, Brett, you say this kind of stuff a lot. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I intend to always remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Let's pray.